This episode of CougarCast is brought to you by Waveform Sleep. Go check them out, waveformsleep.com. It is a Utah County company. It's coming just around the corner. You can check them out. Uh, what it is, it's a mattress that has speakers inside of it. And it's amazing. You lay down on it. And it's made out of these awesome materials. It just it feels great when you just lay on it, even without the speakers on. You turn those speakers on and oh, whoa, whoa, baby, whoa, it's something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it uh, it massages your body, folks. It's it's fantastic. You can uh, link it via Bluetooth to any of your devices, uh, to your Apple TV or Amazon Fire Stick. You just Bluetooth over, and uh, yeah, you can watch your movies through it. I actually, I watched Mission Impossible Fallout the other day. By the way, all those Mission Impossible movies are fantastic. They're really great. Watch Mission Impossible Fallout on my waveform mattress with the sound turned up. And uh, let me tell you, when we did that high-altitude skydive with the uh with the low uh deployment of the parachute and and there's henry cavill he he's uh you know falling and he doesn't have oxygen the whole thing wow it was great but i felt like i gotta say i felt like i cheated death with ethan hunt several times thanks to the speakers inside of the waveform mattress so go check him out waveform sleep Dot com. It feels really nice to lay on, and when you turn it on, like I said, really great. So check it out, waveforsleep.com. Go sign up for their email list. They will be selling these mattresses just around the corner, and you want to be the first ones to try it out, have it in your home, and enjoy a night of what I would I would say it, it takes it from Netflix and chill to Netflix and, and thrill. So go check them out. And now. It's time for Cougar Cast. BYU wins the old wagon wheel up in Logan, and yours truly went to Maverick Stadium. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jordan Love, he did not play great. Yeah, we had to drop it, and he really sucked. Yeah, Jordan Love sucks so much. He sucked so much. He is not good anymore. I don't know what for. He just isn't good anymore, and I can't believe it. And I'm so glad because we got the wagon wheel now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Cougars get a big win, and uh, honestly, that one felt good. Oh my goodness. Shout out to the like 1995 Houston Rockets. Underrated. This was their. Uh, opening, you know, the lineup. Uh, and now, 
Starting at center, Hakeem the Dream. I've always felt like it was a better, you know, lineup song than I got credit for. And the Kiss of Death by uh, Mario Ellie, Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. Sealing the victory for the Rockets, sending them to the uh, NBA Finals. They ended up winning. They came back from 3-1 down. So, anyway, quintessential, quintessential listening for, for anyone who was an NBA junkie as a 12-year-old like myself. All right. So the Clutch City Houston Rockets bring us in this week. Clutch City, BYU, Baylor, Romney, everybody. Uh, fantastic second half. He absolutely just buried them in that third quarter. And, uh, again, full credit goes to uh, the BYU coaching staff. You know, there's this thing that happens when they bring Baylor Romney in, and they really simplified it for Jaron Hall, and he looked better as well. But one of the things that they do is they stop running RPOs, right, the run-past options. You're just not seeing that as part of the package. Instead, it's either straight run and it's straight pass with an occasional read option or, uh, you know, a regular just like shotgun option that you may see uh, just called anyway as like a form of a, it's a run play basically. Um, and what you're seeing is that the Cougars are just calling all sorts of craziness. So one of the things that I thought was great is maybe we found something in a way to use Lopini Katoa. Uh, I thought that he did a great job, obviously, working out of the screen. I, I thought that the traditional screen, we haven't seen that many traditional <laughs> screens in an individual game in a very long time. BYU called a lot of them. Uh, and it's great. That's a great play. It's tried and true. Works, right? Another one that works is a nice delay handoff, right? Little little draw, delay draw. Ooh, that can really work. Uh, another one that uh, I think that we saw, obviously, was more creativity, more guys touching the ball, you know, uh, we're, we're running reverses, we're having Micah Simon throw it to Baylor Romney, we're, we're throwing the kitchen sink at the Aggies, and they, they didn't know how to handle it, and the next thing you know, huge third quarter, no points on the board for the Ags, and the next thing you know, BYU is just running away with the old wagon wheel. And thank goodness. Uh, you guys know how I felt about the importance of that game. That was a big, big game. In a lot of ways, maybe the biggest game of the year for BYU. In its ability to kind of set the standard, at least, of holding their spot uh, with their perception and their standing within the state, which is the first place you got to win. You got you to gotta win in your state. You gotta win in in your local area with the fans, with the uh, with the kiddos who are coming up as they're trying to decide who they want to cheer for. You, you've got to give them something that they can kind of grab onto when they go to school. <laughs> and I just think it's uh, for for with recruiting, with all of it, it's just so so big to get that that win. Three in a row to Utah State would have been real bad. So huge huge victory for BYU. And not only that, um, it's finally nice to to not have kind of a, a close sort of squeak by game. Uh, that's the first game where they've really gone out 
and certainly uh, won because they were better on the night. It wasn't because of call. It wasn't because of a nice play here or there. Uh, one extra play, winning by one or two plays. No, BYU won by about 25 plays against Utah State. It was not close. And uh, I really felt like, you know, I, I, my, I was on the same wavelength as Elisa Tuiaki uh, last week, I, I really thought that you could give Jordan Love problems by just rushing three and dropping eight and making him have to think his way through it. Guy's petrified of throwing interceptions right now. So, uh, and he did. <laughs> oh, did he? He threw three. Uh, I bought tickets. Uh, I took my uh, my aged. I'll just I'll be polite and say aged father. Not that old, really, but. Uh, we, we 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 bought tickets. We just went onto the Utah State website. Next thing we know, we're in the middle of the the Aggie student section. Uh, my old man and I. They don't sit, which is fine. But uh, <laughs> there were some challenges with that. But g- genuinely, it was a pretty good experience. They there wasn't much, you know. Of course, you're you're uh, wearing BYU stuff at Utah State. It's not going to go great. But uh, it's not going to be 100%. But by and large, you know, people there were really pretty good with us. Uh, had a great experience going up to Maverick Stadium. And uh, we know some people that live in Logan. And so we went and said hello and then uh, went and enjoyed the game in the stadium. And, and uh, you know, they, they've got nice facilities. They've got, um, uh, you know, they've got this kind of unique setup with that stadium. That's certainly different than what you'll see at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Um, and it just makes you, you know, I look at it and I just, I really appreciate the facilities that BYU has. I always have. And this notion that's been going around, it's being passed around by like Ben Criddle or, or, uh, you know, people going on his show is you're seeing people complain about the, the facilities and, uh, complaining about the support from the university for that program. Well, I, I just have to say, Having gone up to the game at Utah State, like they might have a nice facade, facade, and it might like, but I'm just telling you, you know, maybe they, you know, I I just I wouldn't think that they have it better. <laughs> their their stadium certainly isn't as nice, um, for the fans. I'll just leave it at that point. Is is that, uh, it's not it's not bad. They've got a nice place up there. Maverick Stadium is nice, but it it certainly isn't Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Um, so anyway, Cougars on the field looked real good and, uh, played a really complete game and had a lot of things going well for it. They forced turnovers. They had short fields that did, it didn't matter if they had long fields, they were just scoring and, uh, they were just kicking butt up and down the field at Utah state did not have the ability to capitalize on the eight man dropping back for two reasons. One. And, and Jordan Love's getting a lot of crap, and he, he deserves it. But um, the other part was is that, so you, you had, you know, Captain Panic, <laughs> Master of Panic back there, Jordan Love, but he also wasn't able to find any receivers. Um, and part of that was his fault, mo- most of it maybe, but uh, his receivers weren't really getting really clean, really open looks. Uh, BYU really did handle a lot of the basis of what, Utah State presented. So that was that was a, a really exciting and complete game. Um, 
we talked at the beginning of that stretch. So we're four more games into the season. We had the first four against Power 5 teams. We went 2-2. Two and two. We had our next four against Group of 5 teams. We went 2-2, two and two, right? Um, so 2-2 two and two after the Power 5, uh, everyone said, you know, it's as good as you could have expected. 2-2 two and two after the Group of 5, it's as, as bad as would be acceptable, <laughs> and I know that with the teams that they beat, it might smell a little rosier. I don't, I don't know. Um, but they're four and four. the The real key here is these last four games. Now, um, this is where you know you can really start collecting your 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 ability to to collect some wins. Uh, you got Liberty this week. You're gonna play Idaho State. You're gonna play at UMass, and you're gonna play at San Diego State. Uh, right now, San Diego State and BYU are right next to each other in terms of uh, F-plus on footballoutsiders.com. Uh, Cougars and, uh, and San Diego State are 67 and 68 uh, nationally. Uh, so that's where they are. They are sitting between Fresno State and Western Kentucky. So anyway, that's 66 through 69. Anyway, um, 67th is BYU, 68th, San Diego State Aztecs. Uh, then you're going to play Liberty. Liberty is 95th. Uh, for reference, Utah State is 89th. Uh, and then uh, UMass, 130th. Idaho State doesn't qualify. They're not a Division One team. Um, so really softens up. Hardest game. Uh, during this stretch is going to be that last game at San Diego State. They have a really good defense. We'll talk about them that week. But, uh, and, you know, evenly matched game, really. Uh, yeah. So, but the the first challenge, of course, is, is handling Liberty and everything that Liberty brings you. Um, and I think that it'll be, you know, interesting to kind of take a look at what it is that Liberty does well and kind of get you acquainted with Liberty. This is the first time this year that I actually have not seen a game in entirety for Liberty. Uh, so I'm just going to give you kind of the bare bones of what we can glean by looking at some of the numbers, what you can figure out based on Hugh Freeze being their coach. And then the last thing is, uh, you know, obviously looking at highlight film and, and reading articles. So hopefully we'll give you a little bit of insight on this, but it's going to be a little bit brief for breakdown because Liberty just simply hasn't been on my television. Uh, they've been a little bit more difficult to find because it's their second year in division one football. So they've only been around for two years. Uh, and uh, through their first two years, this is in a lot of ways, kind of a, one of the bigger games. This is, you know, I think a, uh, Liberty, one of the things that they said at the beginning is when they had a football team, they really wanted to have a program that was like BYU. So um, it's a big moment for Liberty football, and they're going to be looking to make some noise. And then beyond that, again, we, you just can't forget that you just never know when it's BYU and its current iteration, especially with this team in the season. But even over the last four years, you, you just really have no idea what you're going to get. Um it is very possible for BYU to lose to Liberty at home. So I'll start with that in the sense of <laughs> I, I have looked at what they can do 
And from what I've been able to see is that this is a team that goes out and has underdog tactics. And what they're trying to do is throw the football over the top. They're trying to get you over the top. And you've got to figure out how to try to manage and control that attack downfield. And it all starts for Liberty. It all starts with their fantastic, wonderful wide receiver. You should go look up a few of his highlight videos. He's awesome. Six foot four, 220 pound wide receiver, Antonio Gandy Golden, number 11. He's a burner, but he has the size to be a possession receiver. He, he's, he's, you know, sometimes you'll see possession guys aren't fast. And then you, sometimes you'll see the fast guys don't have the size. And then you'll see people categories. Well, he can kind of do both and he's balanced, but he's not good at either. Now, he's good at both. He's really good at both. He uh, is in his second year with Liberty. Um, his average uh, receiving yards per catch, 17 t- yards every single time this guy's caught it in his career. He's got 125 catches at Liberty. Um, he's explosive. He's an explosive pay- player because not only does he he get the football with his size and stuff, but you've got to watch out for that that red zone threat. You've got to watch it for downfield threat because he scores touchdowns in an almost equal portion in the explosive big over 20-yard plays and also in the possession ways. He's got 17 touchdowns in his career. Uh, so nearly one in 10 catches has been a touchdown for this guy. Or excuse me. Uh, much better than one in ten. Sorry, uh, it's almost uh, what one in seven. Uh, just about one in seven catches for this guy ends up being a touchdown. So he's a he's an absolute absolute must for the Cougars. Uh, it's been a few weeks, honestly. I, I've liked a couple players. I, I didn't like any of the receivers on uh, on on Utah State. I didn't really think that they could give you much of a problem. Uh, I, I didn't think the defense. The question is, is, is will they make some adjustments where they're going to play more nickel and and make sure that they've always got a DB or a corner sitting across from Antonio Golden Gan- Gandy Golden. Uh, I think that uh, the Golden Gandy uh, <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a, like a 1930s radio uh, broadcaster. You know, Goldie Goldie Gandy. Um, but seriously, this guy, he is absolutely a a game breaker. He he's absolutely killing it this year. So right now he's top of the leaderboard, um, for the NCAA. He is, um, just, he's been fantastic. Look, I, I, I can go through the whole thing, but it, you know, 54 catches in nine games. That's no joke. Uh, 1,081 yards. During that stretch, he, he's almost getting you 100 yards a game. And in those nine games, he's got seven touchdowns this year. He's just he's just lighting it up. So um, he, he's he been outstanding. He's got the most, uh, you know, just I, I just I can't tell you enough that I, I just this this worries me because I think every team has built their program around trying to stop. Gandy Golden, and they haven't been able to do it. So, um, so I think that's that's kind of relevant. Um, 
the other guy that that does okay, um, he I don't find him particularly terrifying or anything. I've watched him, but the quarterback number twelve, uh, Stephen Calvert, uh, you know, six two, one hundred eighty pounds. He he's gotten a lot better. He's a senior as well. He's got a great target to look for. But the thing with him is that he's kind of unflappable. He doesn't make bad choices. He just genuinely he just doesn't. He his touchdown to interception ratio last week against Utah State we went against a guy who had a negative touchdown to interception season uh, not going to be the case here with Calvert uh, he he has twenty touchdown passes on three interceptions that is a massive improvement over last year he was twenty one to eighteen as a junior twenty one TDs eighteen INTs that's a one twenty one rating that's not that good. Um, this year, um, he's at 9.4 yards per attempt. That's killer. His adjusted yards per attempt, uh, it goes even higher. It's over 10.3. So that's, uh, you know, using the advanced stats to kind of make sure that we're... Uh, anyway, the, the way that they're trying to make that work is, is if you make completions within the red zone and things like that where there's only a limited amount of space, they make a, some adjustments for that. His adjusted yards per attempt... Uh, 10.3 yards. So this guy, when he's got field to work with and stuff, each time he passes it on the year, he's at 9.4. When he's got more field to work with, when he's not in the red zone, that moves up to 10.3. So every time he drops back, Liberty's averaging a first down. Every single time he drops back. That's scary to me. 161.6 passer rating. Uh, so... He's good. The the in terms of throwing, he's a rhythm guy. He's a make reads guy, and um, yeah. The other one is is you know you may as well plant him in the ground. His team should call him the tree. He he's not mobile at all. Okay, <laughs> he he doesn't move well uh, in the pocket. He doesn't scramble. He's not going to run downfield. He's not particularly. He's got a he's got good arm talent, but he does not have does not have uh, the ability to escape out of the pocket. So what does that mean? If you're the Cougars and you're trying to handle this group, this Liberty football team, you're trying to deal with the flames, okay? There's only one flame. What is this feeling? An eternal flame. <laughs> Uh, Antonio Gandy-Golden, you're, you're really going to have to focus in and try to do what you can to, to limit what it is that he's going to try to do to hurt you. And I think that as you take a look at that, I do think you have to believe that this is a, a player of the caliber to hurt you. So you, you either got to play, like I said, more nickel if you're going to... Um, set back more more people so that you've already gonna shed a double his way? Are you gonna are you gonna surrender some of your overall coverage packages when you sit back? You know? That, that great <laughs> look, that cover seven, that you know, I are you gonna do a cover four and then devote a linebacker to try to keep up with this guy? Well that's not gonna work. So, okay, cover four plus you, now you're going in nickel. 
So now you're going to have one guy who's going to try to play man-to-man, and then the rest of the, the zone coverage is responsible to try to double, but then that can cause problems because what if you have more than one guy in, the, in their zone? That just you got to stay home. It causes all sorts of different problems. He's a matchup problem. He's an issue for BYU. Here's what I believe the Cougars will do: is, is they will try to continue to get three-man pressure. I do think that what will happen is is that they will uh, believe that they can still generate three-man pressure. They're gonna try to say, and maybe it's fair, but uh, I, I, you're not gonna score enough points. Um, just throwing the football that direction. You're, you're not going to be able to really expose us and really hurt us in any massive way uh, because we're going to be able to score a lot of points on your defense. We're going to be able to hurt you um, more than you'll be able to hurt us. And so we'll just go attrition style and, and assume that you know you can't keep up with us. That's one option. Uh, the, the other option... I. The option that I would maybe employ is, is more of what you did at Boise State. I think that when you played the Boise State game, that was probably uh, on a scheme and a play calling standpoint was probably the best defensive game in terms of what they had put together there. They also had a really good scheme for, for USC. I blame a lot of that on the bad performance of that quarterback uh Slovis was not good that game for USC. His first as a freshman, his first start on the road, all that. Th- those things matter. Um, you've got a seasoned quarterback here. I think he can make some throws. He's not going to make mistakes. He's not going to be in a spot where he's throwing a bunch of picks. He's not going to give you short fields. So the offense is going to probably have to generate. It's either fumbles or the offense is going to have to generate some long drives. Meanwhile, I do think that he's going to be able to plant his back foot. Calver, he's going to plant his back foot, and he's going to try to find some people. They're doing better scoring the football, all right? Now, who they're playing is relative, but 63 points against Matt UMass, okay, on the road. Then they scored 34 points in a loss to Rutgers on the road. 59 points against Maine, all right? So that's the last three games they've been out. Last three games, they're over 30 points. Cougars are, are, are probably going to have to be able to score some points. I I think the, the Cougars can keep them under 30. Uh, I'm pretty confident of that. But they may get around 21, may get 24, right? Um, and the offense ought to be able to score a lot of points against, <laughs> against Liberty, especially if they continue to just kind of do this basic, you know, no RPO, Nothing exotic. It's we're either running or we're passing, and it's defined, and that's what we're going to do. That, that to me, will really work um, once again. And, and beyond this, kind of the, the creative play calling and, and going lots of different ways with it, uh, I think that they'll be able to generate points. But defensively, I do think that you're going to have to blitz. I just think that when there's enough of a weapon out there, I think that the being afraid of the receiver is fine. But the thing is, is when you have an elite receiver who you think can beat you, who has beaten everybody this year, I think you have to assume that he can probably beat 
your DBs. And if he can beat your DBs, the last thing that you want to do is give him time. So even if you cover him on his initial route, right, then you got to cover him on the breakout of that route. And I just think the more and more time that Calvert is going to have to try to find this fabulous, fantastic wide receiver, the more that that becomes an issue. So I, I would think now this isn't a problem if you can, you know, rush three and, and get there. If you can get home with three, if you can get home with four, you know, where if three can beat the five offensive linemen and even the, the running back who's going to help there, if three can beat five or six, great, and cause problems and get to this kind of stationary quarterback, then BYU is going to have no problem, zero problem, right? But I suspect that they are going to have to face some instances where there is some time. And I just don't think that you want to be in that spot all that often against Liberty. I, I think that, especially because I think that you can blitz and be very successful in it. So for me, I would blitz. I, I would mix in some more blitzes in this game. I think it makes sense to mix in blitzes. I think that, uh, you know, the less time that you give that wide receiver to go and operate, the less time you allow the quarterback to kind of laser in and, and make a choice and then figure out exactly where to throw that football. I, th I think that time is your problem here. You don't want to cover for, for a long time. And so I just think that you've really got to get home and make him make a decision and let it go. Um, and that might mean that you're going to give up more yards or you're going to have a, a, an opportunity to get really burned uh, from time to time. But I, I think that option's on the table, even if you're in coverage. So uh, that that's the, that's the concern uh, for me. That's, actually the biggest place where I think you'll you'll see BYU focus on and, and and their ability to kind of put pressure on the quarterback and make him uncomfortable uh, is something that, you, of course, is important in mo most every game. It wasn't important against Utah State. Will be really important, I think, against Liberty. I, I think if, if the Cougars want to have a real comfortable day and, and they want to they wanna have another win, you know, they ought to get. They're at home. Um, six and three Liberty team, but you know, the, two of those wins are against Hampton and Maine. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, they got a win against New Mexico state. That's fine. At Las Cruces, you know, lost to Louisiana. They lost to Syracuse. Um, they lost, to to Rutgers. So, you know, BYU ought to be fine in terms of, uh, their quality is, that of a Rutgers, I hope, good grief, or a Louisiana, right, or or a Syracuse. But if if you play poorly, if you're not good, you you know, and, and there's been weeks where BYU has not been good. Uh, you know, if they show up and they're flat and there's no emotion, you know, there's no Alex Barcelo that's gonna gonna clap and look like a maniac that's gonna get things going. So that that's the part of the. You know, Liberty game that I think is um, a real issue for for BYU, and I think that um, the Cougars 
are going to have to blitz and their success in the blitz is going to really decide, you know, it's going to be the limiting factor. If Liberty can score 28 points, if they can score 34 points or 35 points, that's a bad, that is a bad spot. It's a bad spot for BYU. Uh, I I really worry <laughs> just because the offense has had weeks where it's been real bad and there's been things that have looked good and uh, Baylor Romney has played really well. Maybe Zach Wilson of having making the, all the reads of the defense and making sure that everybody's reading and seeing the exact same thing. That all goes out the window when you call a reverse. It's you block this guy, this guy runs this way, you hand the ball here, 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 we're done right? RPO is meant to, you, you just, you know, what I just described, you're going to do no matter what the other team's running defensively. RPO is you, you read the defense and then you react to it. So instead of moving as an offense and, and just forcing the defense to react to you, you as the office are taking some time to react to what the defense is doing. And it's just been obvious to me that BYU hasn't had the ability to to read and react with the sort of speed, precision, execution that's required to to really score a lot of points and have sustained drives and, and be super successful. I, I, it's just a fact. It has nothing to do um, with, you know, I, I'm, I don't even think that's necessarily criticism. I just think that you, you've got to put guys in, in certain positions where they're comfortable and I know RPOs are super effective and really kind of in and trendy right now. But I think if you can move away from that a little bit, I think that the Cougars can can run what they can run, what works for their guys. And I think that they can find more points. And it certainly has been the case over the last couple of games. So uh, that'll be that'll be big. The, the last one is, is you know, I, the one other place to maybe be worried is you know, you get the big dramatic wins. They have up on their plaque. They got to win their rivalry games. That list includes three teams: Utah, Boise State, Utah State. Cougars go two and one against those teams. Um, and what happens is, you you have these big emotional games. And fortunately, after the Boise State game, there was a bye. Then they played, uh, you know, the Aggies, and and they played great in that game. Here they are now. Another week is gone, and you know, they they're favored by twenty by Vegas. They they have all of these uh, reasons to be super uh, feeling good about themselves and feeling like oh yeah we're 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 pretty good. <laughs> you know, you could see those little things coming in and oh well if we show up we'll be fine. Um, and the, the thing is is you know I think that Liberty is at least of the quality. That if you don't if you don't strap it on and you're not ready to really roll and, and give give really strong solid effort, uh, that's everybody. Then uh, they can they can catch you and they can catch you slipping a little bit. So I think BYU should be fine. Again, no excuses here. They, they, there should be no reason for BYU to to drop this game. Truly. Um, they, the Cougars should be fine against against Liberty, um, and I expect them to be fine. I expect them to play pretty well, uh, and I'm not real concerned about who the quarterback is. I think that the offense will be able to do enough to to get points. Um, the the real The real concern here is is that if you can keep Liberty from scoring, you, you you're going to be 
you're going to be in real good shape. Um, cause I think, I think B will be able to manufacture and form points against Liberty's defense. Um, so that's kind of the structure of this game. Uh, you're going to win this game defensively. And, and certainly if you lose, it'll be because the defense, um, I, I don't, see this being a low scoring if liberty if liberty were to win they're not winning this game 10 to 7 uh, that is not how they're going to win uh they're going to win because they came out and found a way to score uh, 45 points <laughs> okay if they do that they've got a real chance right so that's um that's the thing that i i would take a look at um and and we'll have to see what that chess match is but i i I can envision a world where they could run up a lot of points uh, on the on the eight men dropping back defense games, except had the blitzing based where you had a lot more blitz packages and gave them a lot to kind of think about and kind of disrupt their timing in that way. I do think that you're going to see Liberty struggle with that, and I do think BYU could be very successful doing that. Um, and they may get burned a couple times. I just have a harder time believing that Liberty is going to be able to solve and take care of that problem to the tune of, you know, five, six touchdowns. Just don't see it. So uh, hopefully I, you'll see BYU be aggressive in that way uh, defensively. Last thing I just wanted to bring up, it's interesting, the return to the sidelines for Hugh Freeze. Uh, Hugh Freeze, of course, uh, Freeze stands for Frozen Assets. <laughs> he uh, uh, oversaw one of the most blatant, stupid cheating scandals in the history of uh, of the of the NCAA. Um, over two hundred calls to his booster that was uh, completely seen. Old Miss suddenly was landing on huge recruits, and uh, I, it just became this kind of um, completely nuts, nutso. Uh, spot. Hugh Freeze got off kind of easy. Uh, he said that he admitted to the allegations, but that they, he didn't know there wasn't anything wrong with it. <laughs> he, so anyway, he's had a successful career, Hugh, Hugh Freeze, in, the, in terms of uh, he's won more than he lost. Um, uh, you know, he, he did really good things at Old Miss. They, there were a couple times where they, you know, made it to number three uh, in the AP poll. At their heights, they finished to a couple years in, in the top 25, and you don't normally get that. And his last year was 2016, uh, after which he was uh, he was uh, not allowed for a little while to be back. But uh, he, he picked Liberty as the place for him to uh, get back in it. Uh, his career, you know, if you're paying your players, you should have a pretty good... Uh, you know, should have a pretty good team. <laughs> uh, you know, I, and I, I think, I think it, it's just interesting to me to kind of see him back. Uh, it is weird when you have these figures in, in college sports, and uh, and that they continue to kind of find these homes despite um, and still being able to to play and, and coach in this way and lead a program, a brand new program, despite the fact that, you know, he's sort of the most legendary head of a program in college football in the last five years to to be caught for just absolute blatant 
absolute blatant uh, violations of the rules. Um, so, you know, but uh, completely, completely uh, involving boosters in the violations and, and finding ways to to put things uh, in that way. So anyway, just wanted to add that when you see who freeze on the field on the other sideline, you know, I, I joke about um, and and people talk about how good of a guy it means he's probably not doing that good of a job coaching. You're going to hear people maybe talk of it, <laughs> talk about Kalani being a good guy. And he certainly has the edge in terms of uh, who you'd want to be your neighbor. Um, so there's that. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about BYU basketball. The Cougars return back onto the basketball floor. They come back with a new head coach, the tallest in the history of humankind. There's never been a taller coach. You're going to hear about how tall Mark Pope is. You're going to hear a lot about his uh, playing career in Kentucky. Played a little bit in the NBA. Um, you know, by the way, just a quick reminder. It just meant that we're watching sports again with announcers uh, on BYU TV. And for all the bull crap that we give uh, on Twitter to ESPN announcers, <laughs> if there's ever a fan base that shouldn't complain about partisan announcing... It's BYU. I mean, gosh, we have our own channel. Can you imagine having to watch another, like being a fan of the other team and watching BYU TV? Ugh. <laughs> so, that's okay. Uh, look, the uh, BYU Cougars return on the floor. There are so many reasons to like what BYU has and yet also be skeptical. So, uh, let's just talk quickly. Uh, I think... Style of play, you're going to see something very similar. I think Pope is going to want to play. Obviously, we saw a little bit in the uh, uh, in the preseason. We, we also saw the game against uh, the Titans of Cal State Fullerton. Uh, I think wh what you're going to see is, is that the Cougars are in a spot where they want to play man-to-man. -man. That's the base defense. If you can be disruptive and guard man-to-man, -man, you're going to feel most comfortable with that. And then uh, offensively, you know, I think the Cougars are going to look to really uh, run and shoot, especially in the early going until you get Yoli Childs back, uh, who comes back for his first game against Utah State. Um, so Childs is serving <laughs> the NCAA, by the way. What a place. I mean, they're penalizing a kid for coming back to college. Fantastic. Way to go. You made a brand new rule that enabled kids to go explore the NFL, or sorry, the NBA draft, to, to begin the process of trying to see, you know, if they could become a professional player. You've lightened what some of those rules were, uh, and it's the first year that it's been out there. The kid goes out, he does it, he decides to come back. And for an organization that says student-athletes, 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 you have a kid who decides to come back, finish, get his degree, all of that, and you're going to penalize them for doing so. Congratulations, NCAA. You continue to be awful. Um, but here's the thing. you got to think about the talent that BYU has on this team. Um, they, there's a lot of good players. 
on this team. I think there's been a lot of focus on the fact that Yoli's not going to be around for a few games, the fact that Gavin Baxter's out for the year. Those matter, sure. Um, but TJ Haas, pretty darn good player, guys. I, I don't know why, but BYU fans are kind of... They're not as in love with TJ Haas as they should be. And I and I think it comes from... I think it comes from the idea that um, he plays really... I, I guess people think that he's playing selfishly out there. Uh, maybe taking shots he, he shouldn't hit. I think that most of the angst around TJ Haas is that it's hard to really um, picture in your head if I said, what's the big TJ Haas moment? If you were to say, you know, uh, what what are you going to think about? What moment on the floor would you remember? Right now, it's like, I think the leader in the clubhouse is when he yelled at the, <laughs> yelled at the opposing team's student section who were making fun of him. For laying down, he said, uh, shut the F up. Uh, that's an actual quote. Uh, he did not actually swear there. He just said, shut the F up. Uh, very angrily. I think that's maybe his iconic moment at this point. So that's the point. Is he, he doesn't really have, like, there isn't, like, the TJ Haas game. He's had lots of really good games. But he's never had this, like, clutch game where he was just, like, incredible. Where he made the shot where he was the difference, you know. I mean, he certainly has been the difference between wins and losses. But, you know, against Gonzaga, he hasn't had a moment. Or the or the St. Mary's games, he hasn't been super big. Obviously, he's never played in anything except for the NIT. He even missed the NIT once. So I think, you know, Haas is, is really good, but I, there's no way to cut this guy. TJ Haas one of the 50 best players to ever play at BYU. He's awesome. And I think he probably wins the belt for the best Lone Peak Threer. I think he probably gets the award. Um, obviously, Eric Mika had better heights. Um, and he had like a, an incredible single season. His freshman year, he's pretty good. Um, but his sophomore year, right after his mission, he was awesome. And then he, he, he left. So there's that. Um, and then, but by the way, he left because he had it to go right then because that was his best chance to make the NBA. Of course, he's had a much better chance to make the NBA this summer going into this fall, which of course would have been the end of his eligibility. Outside of Sean Bradley, the only BYU player, he's the only BYU player to leave early and end up making a, an NBA roster. Uh, if you want to be in the NBA and make an NBA roster and play on an NBA team, you, you stay at BYU for four years. That's just what the rule is unless you're seven foot six. Uh, unless you are so physically freakish that uh, it's impossible to say no to you. Um, beyond that, by the way, Sean Bradley, not just a physical freak. He was good at basketball. He was actually really good. There's lots of really tall guys that aren't good. He was really tall and also very good. Um, here's the thing. So no Yoli for nine games, but Yoli is awesome. He's a top 50 guy, probably. Not probably, he is. He's one of the top 50 guys that BYU's ever had. Okay? I think TJ Haas is one of the top 50 guys that BYU's ever had. Alex Barcelo was a four-star player in high school. Connor Harding, four-star player in high school. Colby Lee, four-star player in high school. So you've got five guys who are in the mix who are four-star recruits, which usually means a lot. 
Um, usually recruiting services do a good job of figuring out who, who's got it and who doesn't, who's going to really be something and who's not. Um, we, there was a time when uh, the fact that BYU had all the Lone Peak 3 was a huge deal. And the fact of the matter was is that having those three guys who were all four-star recruits um, meant that BYU was going to be you know, a perennial Final Four contender. So I think, I think there's a lot of people selling low on, on the talent that BYU has. And we'll just have to see what you're going to get from Mark Pope. But I do think that Yoli is a good player. TJ is a good player. Um, the thing that I would hold against both Yoli and TJ is they just don't seem to elevate their game when it matters most. Yoli gets a little bit lazy. He's always, you know, I mean, I, I noticed against Gonzaga last year and the big games against Gonzaga and the big games against St. Mary's, he's frequently the last guy up and down the floor. Um uh, especially, uh, uh, he's the last guy up the floor when they're on offense. He he doesn't he doesn't run the floor particularly well. That's going to have to change. I, I don't see him being a you know if he does want to make the NBA, he's he's going to have to be a guy that's an effort player who combines his skill with a huge amount of energy. That's just not Yoli Childs. Uh, T.J. Hawes is a, a a good player. It took him two and a half years to finally be like the point guard, the guy with the ball in his hands. I've always felt like he's one of the most gifted players BYU's ever had at creating with the ball in his hands. And here we are. We waited two and a half years in the name of having L.J. Rose and Jasheer Hardnett have the ball in their hands. Finally, we're in a spot where we're trusting T.J. Hawes to have the ball in his hands, and I think he'll create and I think he'll make a lot of really great things going. I've tracked plus minus. I've done it plus minus by lineup. I've done plus minus based on what position they're playing, whether they're on ball, off ball. Every number shows that BYU is a better basketball team when T.J. Hawes is at the one and he's got the ball in his hands. Uh, a lot of really good things happen for everybody. So I think it's exciting that the decision by Mark Pope has, has been to put T.J. Haas in more positions to kind of set the table and, and create and, and, and let things kind of happen that way. I, I think he's going to be massive through these first nine games. I think that um, in, in the absence of Yoli Childs, I think you're going to have to see some fantastic performances from T.J. Haas. The knock against him is that I don't really feel like he's ever been a guy vocally or emotionally to kind of help his other guys along, and that's fine. Marty wasn't that, although he was the most of, of the three, his father. Marty Haas was the most of a leader and kind of fiery in that way. T.J. Haas, not as much. Tyler Haas just went about his business. He just silently kicked your butt. He was incredible. Um, but TJ, very good player and uh, not necessarily the guy to kind of say, get on my back. I got this. We're going to get this done because of me. We haven't seen that through his first three years. I don't know why that would come up in his fourth year, but he, he seems to be a guy that can you know consistently score you points. And people kind of undersell what he does defensively, but I've always liked the amount of effort and intensity that he gives there. Um, I, I actually have no huge problem with his deal. Could he be better? Sure. Is he Jackson Emery? No. Is he Charles Boot? No. He, right. But he's not as uh, you don't have to hide him defensively. Um, Alex Barcelo, four star uh, player. And what we saw against the Titans, the Fullerton 
Uh, I, I thought that Alex Barcelo, obviously the shooting was there. The biggest key that we got from Alex Barcelo was that, that madman quality. I, I think that you do have a, a vocal leader who's willing to show his effort and kind of be a, 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 a thorn in the side of the other team. And then not only that, but, but be kind of after his teammates. The Cougars haven't really had an on-floor guy that is uh, that way. Uh, and then, you know, Connor Harding. I love Connor Harding. I, I think physically, the guy that he reminds me most uh, physically, he, he looks like Kyle Collinsworth. Uh, his body, the way that it's put together, the way he runs up the floor when he dribbles up the floor sometimes. Uh, it's kind of spooky. Um, clearly, he's not Kyle Collinsworth. Uh, but he... <clears throat> He provides a lot of things. And the thing that I like most about Connor Harding, he has this move that I think everybody will, if you've watched the Cougar basketball team enough, Connor Harding, he has this tendency to not catch the basketball like in the deep corner three spot. And he doesn't get it at like the true wing spot. He kind of gets it at like where the three point line starts to kind of flatten out on the baseline. He he catches it in between that wing spot and and the and the deep corner, and, and what happens is he gets it, and then because BYU shoots so many threes in transition, he has this thing that he does where he frequently will will up fake, and then uh, dribble to the baseline, and he's trying to take a couple hard dribbles and then fly to the rim and jam it home. Uh, he went for that three different times against Cal Fullerton. He didn't actually jam it home. He, he laid it off to his teammates, and, and a lot of good things happened for him. But he has that move. He he also shoots threes, and and uh, you know hopefully he'll be better at that this year. Uh, Colby Lee, uh, again, it may surprise a lot of you. He, he was a four-star player. Hasn't really shown it yet. Um, doesn't look like a four-star player. Doesn't move like a four-star player. Um, it's one of those that's a little bit weird, right? But uh, w- was excellent in high school. Very good player in high school. And uh, dominant uh, on the post in high school. Uh, here, here we are with the Cougars. He, he's been around. This is year two, I believe, for him. Nothing yet. Um, ha- has shown a little flashes here or there, uh, but just has uh, been... Kind of, you know, he just looks awkward physically and stuff. But, you know, he's going to have to learn about foul trouble. He's going to get a lot of opportunity to play in the early stages here. With Gavin Baxter being out for the year, you're going to see a lot more Colby Lee this year. Hopefully, he can kind of come into his own. And that's fine. Most players, we kind of got accustomed to in that second half of Dave Rose's career. We we got accustomed to freshmen. If they didn't come in and contribute as soon as they were freshmen, they they just they were ir- they were irredeemable. Well, no, usually a freshman needs a year to kind of work their way into the system. I think that's what you're going to see with Colby Lee. I think that if Colby Lee can be more patient than Peyton Dastrup, if he can like school more than Peyton Dastrup, um, if he can go ahead and decide that he's okay with working his way into the program, continue to work hard, continue to battle against Jolie in practice, maybe next year as a, as a junior he can step up into a spot where it's him and Baxter and, and Wyatt Lowell and, and they'll, which is another four-star player that's uh, redshirting, not going to be on the team this year. Th- those guys can all come together, but you know, you're kind of working on Kobe Lee to kind of give you minutes now, get better, and then kind of go forward. Th- then the last guy, of course, is Jake Toulson. He's a 
He was a, an All-American, all uh, honorable mention last year by the Associated Press for the work that he did at UVU. Uh, was a very uh, respected player coming out of high school. He wasn't a four-star guy, but he he came and it was a big deal. Um, obviously, he's been really good for UVU. He could shoot. He looked real timid and kind of nervous. Um, hopefully, he can relax. And then the other one is, is BYU and its players hadn't, it's clear that there isn't a chemistry there. They haven't figured out how to unlock kind of the stuff that Jake Toulson does. Um, but the problem, here's the thing that I found worrying from just, you know, the two games that I've seen Jake Toulson is it, he seems, he seems passive or, or something. And I'd like to see, I'd like to see him integrated into what they're doing more. Um, obviously he'll need to be, uh, but he, he figures to be a huge piece of what BYU is trying to do this season as well. Um, and then, you know, obviously, uh, there's the, the old, the old guard, you got guys like Nixon, uh, he's there. Celius uh, is around and I, I really like Zach Celius. I, I, I wish he could shoot the way he was as a freshman. That's never coming back. He had that bad sol- shoulder, uh, had surgery on it. He's just never shot the same since. I, I don't see him shooting, obviously, as good as he did as a freshman. But if he can shoot, you know, uh, 35, 30, 36%, that'd be great. And and then, you know, the toughness that he's developed uh, and, and, the, and the rebounding and the mustache, uh, I love it. I, I, I really like the effort and the energy that he played with. It, it's it's pretty cool. Um he can bring a lot to, to BYU. Um, people will expect him to kind of shoot. I mean, he was such a huge X, X factor his freshman year, um, but he, he that's gone. He's beefed up a little bit. I just don't see him being that, that again, but he can provide in, in a Celius at the four. That's always kind of been the spot with him before. Now that he's beefed up even more, maybe Celius at the five, and there's some spot for him to do that and to rebound. Uh, even even there in certain scenarios, uh, he's he's going to be a, a really key important player. And then you know the the other guys that um, um, everyone is you know had had fun trying to get uh, accustomed to. There's guys like uh, Blaze uh, Neald uh, and um, Nell Neal uh, Neald and Nell. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think that the you're going to see maybe those guys coming in their own. I like the idea. I'd like to see Blaze Neald. I'd like to see him uh, get more confident in taking shots here or there. But he, where he did shoot, he, he made. Um, and then obviously Trevor Nell, super uh, good performance in the first game uh, during the preseason. Looked very comfortable, looked very capable. Uh, came in, didn't get hot. I see him as sort of... Um, he might be this season. He might be like a, if you remember, maybe maybe not as good of a shooter. It'd be awesome if he was, but he might be like a a, a Mike Rose style. You bring him in. Uh, if he's hitting shots, you leave him in. If he's not hitting shots, you bring him out, and then you don't see him the rest of the game. But you you bring him in. You know, eight minutes into the first half, let him get out there and take some shots. If they go in, he gets to keep going. If he go, if they don't go in, he comes out of the game. You don't see him again. I, I, he might have that sort of a role, but of course, with sort of the thin bench early in the season, they're going to have to kind of navigate that, and he might have to play, you know, more minutes. So that's kind of 
what we're looking at in terms of personnel uh, as we go through the year. I, I, I don't think uh, that's kind of going to be the, the core basis of the team and, and what they're going to give you out there. Uh, they have some huge, huge hurdles to get over. Um, but the, the first part is this early non-conference schedule. They've got eight more games until Yoli's back. Getting Yoli back will make a big difference for, for what BYU looks like. But it's also going to change kind of their identity and sort of the, the rhythms and spots that they've gotten into. And so um, it'll be interesting. It's also, you know, Yoli, there's been uh, great videos. If you see, it's Wise Guys, uh, Wise Guy. Uh, anyway, uh, check it on Twitter. He's also writing on, on Vanquish the Phoba about how Yoli's retooled his jump shot, and it's really, it's looking good. So I think if you, um, if you love BYU basketball, uh, I do. I've been working on a book on it. Uh, by the way, email me because uh, I'm writing this book on BYU basketball. It's getting very long, <laughs> and I'm getting scared because I don't think anybody wants you know like a 300 page on the history of BYU basketball. Um, so I need uh, some some feedback on that, cougarcast at, g- at gmail.com. But I, I think what you're going to see with BYU is I think that they're going to kind of be finding their legs as they go along. They're expected to finish third in the Mountain West Conference, or sorry, the West Coast Conference. The, uh, you know, St. Mary's two, Gonzaga one, like always. And I think that that's, you know, completely fine because I, I just think that if if BYU can kind of maintain that spot um, this season, you know that'll be big. One of the bigger things too that I think for for BYU as they you know enter this new era with Mark Pope. If I was Mark Pope, one of the big things that I'd try to do is since BYU has been in the West Coast Conference, the conference has has gotten better. I feel like. Um, but a, a couple other things is, is they need to do a better job of finding ways to um, not drop the games against Loyola Marymount, Pepperdine, Pacific, Portland, um, you know, the also-rans, quote-unquote, of the West Coast Conference. I feel like the Cougars need to find a way to to come out of those games and, and play really effectively. Um and then, yeah, in this early in this early season in the non-conference, you know, they've got some really, you know, some ugly games that are going to be, uh, you know, challenging to kind of get through. Uh, they've got obviously the game uh, this weekend against San Diego State. That's going to be a challenge. They got Southern Utah. They should be all right there. They're going to Houston. Uh, probably won't go go so good. The game at Boise is a hard one. I, I don't see that one going particularly great. Uh, then you're off to Maui over over Thanksgiving, and uh, you'll get three games out there. Uh, UCLA to kick off, and then who knows who, right? Maybe maybe you'll get Shamanad, uh, maybe. Um, and then you got Montana Tech, and then uh, following that, welcome back Yoli, and uh, we're playing the University of Utah. So you know that's that's November and and. Facing that stretch of the schedule is going to be tricky, and of course Maui is going to be tough. But there, there could be this little stretch where things get pretty ugly and people are feeling not so good um, because maybe you lose to San Diego State, you beat Southern Utah, you might lose at Houston, at Boise, and then you may go to Maui and come up empty-handed. 
Um, if you come out empty-handed down in Maui, you know, that, then everyone's wondering, well, geez, what's the problem? You, uh, you've now lost, you know, six of, six of seven. That, that's definitely in play. That's definitely a bad scenario. But I just don't see that happening to this group. Um, I just see that there's too many. I think Haas is better. Uh, he's too good for that to happen to BYU. I think BYU is going to pick up a couple wins through here. They may have a losing record uh, by the time Yoli gets back. That's possible. That's that's definitely worrying, and and that's um, certainly you know the the standard needs to be higher. But as they're trying to you know work through kind of the new the new, this new age, the thing though is is you know these guys are used to the style that the Pope's asking. It's not like he's asking them to do anything that's drastically out of their comfort zone. But with Haas and Toulson and and that group, they ought to be able to go out and Harding. You you ought to be able to go out. And, and steal a win maybe against, you know, Boise on the road or get a win against Houston and, and go to Maui and get one, maybe two wins. That would be great. Um, and, and if they can kind of get to that point and then get Yoli back, at that point, you know, they've got a, a lot of huge games, which we won't get into then. But I, I just think that the, the Cougs basketball team, it, there is this kind of weird um, – there's a weird stat that's out there that in in the history of BYU basketball, there's a couple things that you, you need to remember about the, your hopes and dreams as it relates to BYU basketball. There's a couple laws that currently exist um, for BYU basketball that are kind of weird. L- law number one is that unless we've got the national player of the year, we're not getting out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. We we've only made the we've only made the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. So that second weekend, the only time we've ever made the Sweet 16 if we had the best player in America on our team, uh, either Danny Ainge or, or Jimmer Fredette. Kind of crazy. Law number two with BYU basketball. Law number two is that anyone that has played. Um, on a NIT team, um, of all the team of all the teams through BYU's basketball history since the NCAA tournament came around, it, basically it works like this: um, if a, a player has played in the NIT, they haven't gone on to then win a game at the NCAA tournament, there's literally only one player in the history of the BYU basketball program who won in the NIT and then went on to win an NCAA tournament game. So the the notion of those NIT appearances or some of that pedigree then, you know, seasoning you to get ready to make a bigger jump at the NCAA it's just not true. So Yoli's out. <laughs> I mean, if you're following, if the law holds, right, we're not winning an NCAA tournament game. Um, and very, very few, even crazier, very, very few times has a, a player who's been in the NIT even made an appearance uh, at an NCAA uh, tournament game. So it's kind of crazy. That that one player, by the way, is Jeff Chapman. Jeff Chapman won an NIT game, and then he went on uh, two years later. He was a sophomore. Two years later, they made the NCAA tournament, and they won a game. Had a lot to do with adding 
easily one of the seven best players in BYU basketball history. That's Michael Smith. Uh, Michael Smith joins the team, and they end up winning an NCAA tournament game. So it's interesting, right? But if if these guys, so Yoli, and it's gonna, it's it was true about Mika. It was true about Emery. It's gonna be true uh, potentially about Yoli. It's gonna be true about T.J. Hawes. So it's kind of this interesting thing. If you want to leave, you know, these freshmen untainted. If you want like Connor Harding to have future success going on and stuff. It's kind of interesting if if he goes to the NIT, the the odds of him then going on and playing in the NCAA tournament and then even winning a game, it's it's pretty much impossible. Um, so it's, unless you add, you know, one of the seven best players in the history of the program, uh, and he might, you know, Michael Smith was really good. Yeah, I need to talk to him. He was awesome. Anyway. That's it for this week's edition of Cougar Cast. Uh, BYU basketball's back. I love watching me some Cougar hoops. Uh, I would venture a guess that in terms of no- knowledge of the history of the BYU basketball team, there's very few people <laughs> on the planet who've spent as much time and effort to try to get well acquainted with uh, the entire history of the program and knowing all the players and kind of what happened and the coaches and the big games and all that stuff. So... I tend to look at the basketball team more through a historical lens and and having the opportunity to try to sort out you know who who's really special and when it gets really interesting and, and kind of see those overall big big trends. So that's kind of my point of view and perspective as it relates to to BYU basketball. Uh, that's it for this edition of Cougarcast. Email the show Cougarcast at gmail.com. Tell a friend about the show and uh, go Cougars against San Diego State and Liberty. Take care of yourself.